Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 5. We are continuing the message, Sermon on the Mount, and we talked yesterday about being poor in the Spirit. So today we are going to continue in that, and now we're going to go to Blessed Are Those That Mourn. And uh, how many are just being blessed by the Bible? Can you say amen? Are you glad that you come to a church that reads the Bible? Amen. I'm not trying to say there aren't other churches that read the Bible. I'm just asking you, are you glad, thank you, that today you read the Bible. Amen? You know, the Lord spoke that to me as a pastor because I really love to preach, man. I just love to have a good time. I love to share the Word. But the Lord really put it on my heart that if you, the people, do not get the Word in your heart and have it in your heart, when you leave, all I did was entertain you. And it has to be more than just entertainment. It has to be transforming. And it has to come from the Bible itself. It can't come through any other source. And so we are going verse by verse by verse through the book of Matthew on Sundays. And we're going through the book of John on Fridays. And all you have to do to listen to the messages again, or if you want to hear the book of John for the youth, just go to the website, metropraise.org, and you'll see them all there. And uh, right now, our Tuesday webcast show is going great. It's 9 p.m. You can just tune in on your website. You can ask me any Bible questions you have. We have a lot of great people that are on there. Uh, I have two other gentlemen that work with me, and we answer any and every question from why God says homosexuality is wrong to why the Bible is, uh, you know, the Bible 66 books. And all of those things are important. So everybody say metropraise.org. Awesome. So there you go. You can check it out. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 1. If you're there, can you say I'm there? Okay, so let's start right here in verse 1. It says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now I want you to see, when you look up at the first verse, it says, When the crowds came to him, who did he call now to be with him? His who? Everybody say his disciples. I want you to catch this. You see, because when you begin to read the Bible, you got to read the Bible. You got to see what's going on in the story here. It says, now when the, when he saw the crowds, he went to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. So let me give you an example. See, right now there's two different types of people in this church. It's the crowd who likes to be somewhere on Sunday. Maybe they're still deciding what they're going to do with God. Then there's the other person, that's the disciple. And while I'm preaching, the person that's in the crowd just kind of sits back. And they're just kind of just taking it in going, mm, I don't know. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. Maybe there's some things in there I might try. And you're kind of sitting back just going, okay. But the disciple says, okay, give me all you got. Get real close to Jesus. Get right up in the Word and say, okay, Jesus, whatever you got to say, Pastor, whatever the Word is saying, give it to me. And give it to me raw. I'll take it right now. Hot. Amen. I just wanted it. However it comes. And you see the difference right here. You can see right from the beginning. The ones that are going to apply these principles are His disciples. If you're a disciple, can you say amen? You see, because there's a lot of crowds today in churches, but not a lot of disciples. And I said it last week, and I'll say it again this week. I would rather have five disciples and, and just have a church of five than to have thousands of people and nobody being a disciple. Amen. And I want to tell you something, all that glitters is not gold. Just because you see it on TV don't mean they're disciples. Just because you read their books don't mean they're disciples. You've got to discern what the Lord is saying. And I'm not trying to say, let's just pick on other pastors and other churches. No, I'm not here for that. We're going to agree with other churches. We're going to partner with other people. That's, that's, it's not a, a man versus man thing. What I'm talking about is God versus the devil. And the devil's gotten in a lot of churches. And the pastors don't preach the word. The people don't want the word. And all they got is crowd. 
else. But right here, starting today, every time you come here, what we got is a message for disciples. Amen? What we got here is something that a disciple can take out these doors and say, not only do I want to hear about Jesus, I want to live like Jesus. Amen? That's the difference. And praise God. You sit next to a co-worker. They say, I go to another church, and I love God, and I'm living for Jesus. You can just say, hey, you on the team. You on the team. But you sit to a next person, and they're like, oh, I go to St. Amorosus, whatever. And, you know, I'm just going to, you know, Christmas service, mass, whatever. But, I, but on Saturday, I'm partying with my, my friends, New Year's Eve. Well, you can just tell that's a crowd right there. That's not a disciple. So the first thing that you learn, and by the way, we've been through the whole book of Matthew. What have we learned so far? Jesus taught repentance. Jesus chose disciples. Jesus got baptized, and and John the Baptist said, this is the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He was tempted, and yet he did not give in to sin, right? This is all we've learned already in Matthew. And then we get to this part, and he's going to teach the character. I want to ask you a question. When was the last time you even heard preaching like this? When was the last time you just heard the Word being preached? And that's why, my friends, it can't just happen one day a week. You've got to go home and keep studying it yourself. And, you know, and on our website, you can go to the links page. And I have other men and women of God that are preaching it there. And you can listen to it because, you see, disciples want the Word. Amen? So what, last week we talked about being blessed in our spirit. And today I want to review that a little bit because I want to get to the part about mourning. And they tie in together. But just look up at the screen. I'm going to give you some definitions to help you understand Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Your Bible is written as a historical account. This is called a historical narrative. That is mean the gospel writer Matthew, who was the tax collector, he was the disciple, the tax collector, whose Hebrew name was Levi, he became a disciple at an older age. He was one of the older disciples, probably in his 40s, where John, who wrote the gospel of John, was probably in his teens. He was probably a 16-year-old teenager between 16 and 18. So Matthew's an older disciple, and he records this message as called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's where Jesus preached his greatest message on happiness in life and true spirituality. You see, the Latin uh, church, when they spoke Latin, called the verses we just read the Beatitudes. Does anybody see that note in their Bible? You see that right there? Does anybody see that note in their Bible, the Beatitudes? How many see Beatitudes as a note in their Bible? Right above chapter 5. Okay. And that word, Beatitudes, is Latin for the state of bliss and happiness. And they they gave this passage of Scripture. Now, listen, all of Matthew 5, all of Matthew 6, all of Matthew 7 is called the Sermon on the Mount. But the verses specifically that we have just read, Matthew 5, verses 1 all the way through 12, are called the Beatitudes because these are the teachings on being happy and blissful in life. Now, watch this. We here in the church world, what it takes to be happy and blissful. Are they teaching us that we got to mourn to be happy? Is the world teaching you that you've got to be meek? Let's just put the world on that. Is the world teaching us to hunger and thirst for righteousness? You see, what I want you to see is that that word blessed means to be happy. And what Jesus is teaching us is that his way to be happy is going to be different than your way and my way. You see, we would think to be happy, what would we put? Let's go back here. Uh, Let's go back. What would we put right here, number one? Blessed are the ones who win the lottery because they will never have a care in the world, right? That's where we would probably start off right there, right? Blessed are those, and let's just be honest, men. Blessed are those who can have three and four wives and get away with it, or one wife and two girlfriends because they will be sexually satisfied. Hello? Hello? See, I'm going to talk about marriage and life. See, all this is up here. Y'all may not see it, but it's all there. Some of the young people would say, Blessed are all those who win American Idol, get on MTV and have a video because they will inherit the earth. They will drive nice cars. Y'all look at me like you don't live in this world when I preach like this. Like, really, Pastor? Men actually think about cheating on their wife. You mean, really, young people think about just making money, being like, yes! There's, there's a reason why 20 million people tune into American Idol, because teenagers make idols out of superstars. You see, that's how we would do it. But how did God say you're going to be blessed? That word blessed means happy. You see, when we say God bless you, we're saying may God make you happy today. 
And see, some people would say, well, then to be happy, I have to have lots of money. To be happy, I have to have X, Y, and Z. But God is teaching us, here's what you need to be happy. Have a poor spirit. Have the heart that mourns over your sin. Have a heart that's meek. You want to be happy? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, none of these things deal with the material lies of this world. They deal with your heart. You see, the disciple understands that life is not about 70 years of momentary pleasure on this earth. The disciple has an eternal perspective that it's about God and His glory and finding true satisfaction in who God is. Oh, yeah, anybody can be happy on payday. Anybody can get that paycheck. Oh, I got paid. You know that Christmas bonus? Come on now. Oh, thank you, Lord. You know? When we think that God is most glorified, we think that we're the most happy we could ever be when we get the Christmas bonus, when we get the paycheck, the raise. But I'm going to tell you when God is most glorified. When you're poor in your spirit. When you say, Lord, I don't have a job. I've been looking for three months. And I just throw my life in your hands today. See, he's most glorified then. You see, it's not on the mountaintops. You ever been on a mountaintop? I like to rock climb. On, on mountaintops, nothing grows. There's, there's no real vegetation on mountaintops. And you see, growth does not happen in our high moments in life. You see growth in the valleys. You see, we go through valleys. And the Bible says, yea, though I walk through the valley, you won't stay in a valley. You'll go through it. But you've got to go through to get to the mountaintop. And you've got to grow in the valley. You've got to change in the valley. Amen. And you see, there's growth in life through our trials, and God is most glorified in those times. I will be the first one to ask God in heaven, why did you do that, Jesus? I wish I could have had more fun just every time the church was packed and tithes and offerings was up. I wish that could be the greatest times I get close to you. But no, you know the greatest times I get close to God is when I go out to Belmont and Clark and somebody laughs at me. And, and somebody, you know, rejects Christ. And my heart, get, my heart gets broken as a pastor. And, and I know I have a church full of people, but I, I see that one person reject God. And as a pastor, I go home burdened. And, and I come to tears that day and I say, Lord. God, I'm just here preaching your word. God, what does it take to see a soul saved? You see, then God really starts to talk to me about what a pastor is. Then God really starts to give me a heart for the people. Are you all listening to me? See, we got to learn the real deal. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to get the real deal. So you know what the Sermon on the Mount is. You know what the Beatitudes are. You know what it means to be blessed. It means to be happy. Now turn with me to John chapter 10, verse 10. And I want to show you that this, however, this... this um, dichotomy, meaning we're poor but yet we're rich, we mourn yet we're comforted, does not mean that, that we go through life bipolar, we go through life schizophrenic, go through life depressed. It's like, I'm sad, but I'm happy. I'm sad, happy, you know. No, we, we go through life steady. Because guess what? When we have a job, we got Jesus. When we don't have a job, we have Jesus. So guess what? Jesus never changes. I learned this one time in Bible college that my professor was teaching us. He said, one time I was, uh, I was taken off in a storm, and you couldn't see even out the plane. It was getting, like, dark around 4 or 5 o'clock. The clouds were covered. It was a snowstorm. He said, I couldn't even see barely the airport from where we were taken off. And he said, as the plane began to gain altitude, it broke through the storm, and he saw that the sun was shining, and the sky was clear blue. Anybody ever went through a situation like that? You just take off, and all you have to do is get to a certain altitude when you pass the clouds and you can see the sun. I want to tell you something. The S-O-N sun is always shining. Amen? God is always shining in your life. There may be problems, but you got to rise above the problems in Christ. Not by your own strength, but in your worship and praise to Him. And just get a revelation of who He is, and He'll still be shining on you. You see, God always is with us. He never leaves nor forsakes us. So why can we be happy through the trials of life? Because God is there speaking to us, changing us, making us more like Him. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, the sun's always shining. Praise God. I thank God the sun is always shining. Look at John 10.10. 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life. And have it to the full. So as we go now through the specific teachings of Jesus, 
through the book of Matthew, these things called the Beatitudes. Jesus is saying, Augie, I want you to have life, and I want you to have it to the full. Here are the principles. Blessed are you when you come poor in spirit to him, because you get the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you mourn, because he'll comfort you. Blessed are you when you're meek on this earth, because you will soon inherit this earth. Blessed are you when people make fun of you and they persecute you for your love for God because you're sharing in the same reward of the prophets who came before you. Blessed are you when you hunger and you thirst for righteousness because every time you come to his throne, he will fill you with the manna from heaven. You see, that's what God's teaching us. And I want you to see today what this actually is saying. Uh, and, And blessed are the poor in spirit. We talked about it a little bit last week, but I want to get into it a little bit here. Poor in spirit means to be fully aware of your need for God. To come to Him empty and in need. So today, have you found happiness in being deeply needing God? Have you found happiness in a deep need for God? Have you found there's a joy, there's a contentment, there's a peace in your soul when you came to God and you continually come to Him saying, I have a deep need for you. I am poor without you. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And then the the phrase kingdom of heaven. The the kingdom of heaven, that phrase, literally in the book of Romans, chapter 14, verse 7, it says the kingdom of God is this, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Everybody say that with me. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You see, that's what it is. So starting right now, bam, you're poor in spirit. What do you receive? Righteousness. God covers you in righteousness. You may not be able, no, first of all, none of us can live a righteous life, but God gives us a righteous life. Why? Because we're poor. We're poor in our spirit, but God makes us poor no more. Amen? He gives us His righteousness because He's rich in righteousness. And then what does He give us? Peace. We can't go through life without the perfect peace of God. And you know what? God has enough to give to us and joy. We don't we need some joy in life? Amen. And then look at some other definitions of the kingdom of heaven. That's the literal definition. But it also means the God-ruled life with Jesus as king. So you come poor in spirit. And now what do you receive? You receive the kingdom of heaven. And that means now in your heart, Jesus Christ is Lord. That word Lord means boss. It means Jesus is the king, the boss of your life. And that's a good thing because he's a good king. You can trust him. He'll guide you and and lead you. And then the last way to look at the kingdom of heaven are the blessings and powers of heaven displayed on earth and in heaven. So right now, the kingdom of heaven is all up in heaven. I mean, you can see God's kingdom. You can see his glory. When the prophets got visions of heaven, they saw six-winged angels flying around his throne, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. John, in the book of Revelations, saw a number that he could not count. And they say the human eye can probably behold one billion people. If you would see on on a mountaintop, you could behold one billion people. So he saw over a billion people in heaven worshiping God with these six winged angels. And you know what? That's up there. And then Jesus said, thy kingdom come, which we'll get to in Matthew later. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on what? On earth as it is where? In heaven. So God's plan is for the kingdom of God to come down here. And first it comes in our hearts. We're worshiping God. See, when we, what we just did here today was literally what they do in heaven. You see, we're showing the world right here. We're worshiping God, finding joy in His presence. Amen? We don't even know. There could have been angels in the Spirit here today. Angels could have came down from heaven and said, Y'all having fun up here? Let me come join these guys right here. They're having some fun too. I'm going to worship with them down here. You don't know. The Bible just says that He wants that kingdom to come down here. So blessed are the poor in spirit, happy and content in life, are those who come needing God. For they will receive righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Blessed are those who have a hunger for God, and they will receive Jesus as their king and receive his kingdom. So it's such a simple principle. We just have to come poor in our spirit. Can you say amen? Now I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 3. And I want you to see how uh, Paul described being poor in spirit. What it means to be a Christian that says, I am poor in spirit. What it means to come to God saying, God, I just, I have a deep need for you. 
there's an illustration that a man gave that if you were to get on a plane right now and someone was to just meet you on the plane as you're getting on and they say, hey, here's a parachute, put on this parachute. And, and you would say, why? And, and they said, well, because it makes your trip a whole lot better, and you'll have fun wearing it. And actually, you're going to look a lot better in the parachute. So you're going to have fun on the trip. You're going to have fun just wearing it. And then you're going to look a lot better. So here's a parachute. And all of a sudden, you just like, okay, you put on the parachute. But you sit down in the plane, and you look around, and nobody else has the parachute on. You're the only one. And you know, plane seats are already small to begin with, and so you're like hunched over because you got this big parachute on, and, and, and you don't even know how to use the thing, so you're like, if something happens, I don't even know how to use this parachute. And so you're all hunched over, and you're looking at people, and they're looking at you strange, you know, like, you got a parachute on for, you know, what's, what's the problem? After a while, and you see that the plane is safe, and it's not going to crash, what would be the temptation? The temptation would be, well, I can just kind of loosen it up, I can take it off, right? Then before you know it, you would just kind of set it by your feet and say, well, it's still here if I need it. And then after a while, you'd probably just kick it under the thing and say, ah, I'm okay. Nobody else is wearing it. Everybody else seems to be fine. They're looking at me like I'm crazy anyway. I could use some extra space, so I'm fine. And then the plane lands, and you would get off and say, why did I need the parachute? That is life with Christ without knowing the judgment of God. You see, people come to Christians, and they come to the world, and they say, here, Take this Bible. It will make your life a lot better. You'll have fun in life. And all of a sudden, they take this Bible for a few weeks. They try to start reading the Bible, and they try to put it, apply it to their life. And all of a sudden, things get harder. Things get difficult. And people start looking at you funny. Oh, oh you don't go to the bar anymore now. Okay, you're weird. Oh, you go to church on Sunday. And all of a sudden, because they thought, or they lose somebody in life and something bad happens to them, they thought that the number one purpose of the Bible was to make them feel better. The number one purpose of this Bible was to just make them feel happy in life. And so what happens after a while? The Bears game comes on, what, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock? And they're like, well, the Bears game's more funner than that. I'll just take it off. And before you know it, they don't serve God anymore. But let me give you that illustration when we preach the gospel the right way. If you were about ready to get on a plane in World War II and they said, listen here, this plane is flying over enemy-held territory and it is your job to jump out of this plane with this parachute. You better hold on to this thing and here's how it works. You run down this streamline. You get out this plane. And all of a sudden, if you've ever seen Band of Brothers, you know, the 101st Airborne Division, and you're walking out there and you're seeing bullets flying everywhere, you are going to thank God that you have that parachute when you have to jump out that plane. And this Bible says that if you do not have Christ on Judgment Day, you will perish. This is the only answer for mankind and salvation. Amen. And so this Bible is not just here to make your life just a little bit better, tickle you, and give you a new car and a fancy house. Though this Bible will teach you to prosper, its most important thing is to give you salvation and redeem your sinful soul. If you believe it, can you say amen? And that will get you to get up in the morning and to come to church and come early for 9.15 prayer and get somebody to disciple you in your house because you say, I've got to know my parachute. I've got to know this way of salvation. Hallelujah. The ark wasn't a cruise ship, y'all. I said Noah's ark wasn't a cruise ship. It was built, it was built to weather the storm. Some people come to the church and they're like, Oh, I don't like that, Pastor. He doesn't entertain me enough. Oh, I don't like what's going on here. No, no, no. This ain't a cruise ship. This is a battleship. We meant to bring you out of danger and whoop the devil. Amen? We're not here to entertain you. This is not the love boat. Fall in love and, and, and go do whatever they do on those things. Noah's ark was meant to save souls. It was meant to weather a storm. Stay in church. Love Jesus. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says about the principle of knowing who we are before God. Because God is... And let, me, and let me just say this. Everyone can look up at me, please. If all He did was forgive our sins, that's enough to worship Him forever. If all He did was just bring you to heaven and that's it. And, and you go through life on your own. He never talked to you again. But you knew that your sins were forgiven. And you know that you see Him when you die. He would still be better than Muhammad, Buddha, and Krishna all put together. And He would still be worth us praising and loving Him. But I thank Him that He blesses us, amen. I thank Him that He takes care of us. But I want you to understand, if all He did was take us from our sinful nature, that's enough to worship Him, because no one else could do that. 
That's why he died on the cross. Amen. And the greatest gift you can give your family is not wrapped in a package. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So make sure you share it with somebody. Amen. He didn't come to be little Dito Jesus in a manger. He came to be a grown man, the son of God, die on the cross, raised again on the third day, seated in heavenly glory, coming back as a conquering king. Let's talk about that, Jesus. Amen. Man, I double dog dare you to say, oh, y'all love Jesus here at the Christmas party. All right. Let me open up Revelations. Let me tell you what Jesus looks like now. He got a sword in his hand. He's riding on a white horse. And he's coming after y'all if y'all don't get born again. Woo! You could just see them eating the lechon and just go, what did you say? What happened? Whoa, I got to be born again. He's coming on a horse. Oh, Lord, look up here. Romans 3.10, as it is written... Talking about being poor in the spirit. There's no one righteous. Not even one. You know that Moses wasn't righteous. He had to come poor in the spirit. You know, nobody was right. Only Jesus Christ was perfect. Your pastor is not perfect. I need Jesus Christ. No one is righteous. Not even one. The Bible even says there's no one who understands. No one who seeks God. Do you understand if God did not come down for us, we would never go up to see him. We would be fine just as we are. Adam and Eve, when God came to them in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned, when God came, what did Adam and Eve do? They hid from God. That is the human nature. Once we sin, once we find out that there are things in life that we do that are wrong, that break God's commandment, we hide with our guilt and shame. The Bible says all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. you got to understand, this is the Bible right here. Come on. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. That's, that, we see we all have that potential. Their feet are swift to shed blood, or as we would say, swift to cut somebody out that cuts them off. Because that, that's just like murder too, the Bible says, when you get angry and lose your temper. And look at this. This is, this is so heartbreaking right here. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the ways of peace they do not know. I remember one time I was getting high with my friends, and this guy that I knew from high school came in, and he was just all upset, and I could just, I could just see he was miserable, man. I could, uh, he was just upset. And I said, man, what are you upset about, Steve? And he, you know, he held up this bracelet, and he said, man, my ex-girlfriend gave me this bracelet when we were, we were going out together. I've been wearing it ever since we, we were going out. Even though she broke up with me, I kept it, and today it broke. And I could just see this look in his eyes. And then he looked right at me and says, man, life sucks because everything breaks. He said everything breaks in life. You notice that? That even you can love your mom as much as you love her, her body will break one day. No matter how much you love your children, one day their bodies are going to break. The Bible says ruin and misery mark their ways. You see, if you don't come to God poor in spirit saying, Lord, this is what I'll become without you. Lord, I need you. God, I need you to put hope in my life. You see, I'm not trying to say we ought to be depressed, go, I'm poor in spirit. I'm not saying that's how we live. I'm saying you come to God, Lord, I need you. Save me, Lord. And then as Christians, we say, Lord, I'm never going back. The Bible says for you to be a Christian and to go back to the ways of the world is like a dog to eat his own vomit. It would be like me taking a pig right up here, dressing him up, baptizing him, and letting go of him. He goes out and goes right into the pigsty. The Bible says don't do that. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, don't go back. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to be accountable. We're all going to be accountable to God. The whole world is under his law. Every mouth will be silenced. On the day of judgment, every mouth will be silenced. We've taught it here so many times. The only way to get in, John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, a very religious man, I tell you the truth, no man can see the kingdom of God unless he is what? Unless he's what? Everybody say, born again. Born again. Unless you are born of the water and the Spirit, you cannot see God. You have to be born again. Amen. And what a joy it is to be born again. Hallelujah. Oh, what a joy I found in this Savior of mine. Amen. Because otherwise, this is where we stand. And the Bible says that when 
Buddha comes that day, or when he came that day to God's judgment seat, he could say, Jesus, I walked on rice paper. I could meditate till I thought no more about this world, and I only saw the lotus tree, the lotus plant. He could say all of those things, and Jesus will say, shut your mouth. You are a sinner. You are under the law. You have not repented. You have no fear. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. That's what the Bible says, so that every mouth may be silenced. You see, disciples are learning right here. We are learning. This is what Jesus was teaching them that day. Blessed are you when you see your need for God. Don't be like the atheists of this generation who say, I don't need God. There's no such things as sin. They're just made up in human minds. Don't believe that there is a law. It's universal. You can go to the aborigines, to the jungles of Africa, to the tribes in Mexico up in the mountains, and you will all see that they respect their family. They don't believe in murder. They know a lie is a lie. And God put us all under His law. And He will judge us one day. And the only way we will be spared is if we're born again. That means we come to import in spirit say lord give me this parachute and teach me how to use it amen praise god i get excited romans chapter 6 you can just look up here 23 says the wages of sin is death so that means when we sin we're going to perish romans 20 14 through 15 says then death and hades were thrown into the lake of fire so y'all can just think about hell right now like the county jail when somebody gets arrested they go to the county then when they face judgment and the the last um court date then they go to state penitentiary okay right now when people die if they don't know christ they go right to hell and they're waiting that final judgment after the battle of armageddon after that judgment all of hell with the devil who's the devil's loose right now y'all but then at that that time the devil with all those in hell get thrown into the lake of fire and the bible says it's a bottomless pit so you never touch the ground you're always falling bible says it's pitch black you can't see anything you're alone and the bible says that the fire does not go out so you're burning falling alone in darkness and then the bible says that there's worms that eat in and out of your flesh and that your memory never goes away so you keep a sound mind of who you were what you did and what life was about and the memories of what you saw in heaven on judgment day all of that is in your mind for eternity somebody say help us lord y'all don't got to go to look at your neighbor and say don't go to hell but go to heaven with jesus see you already preaching look at that turn with me now to revelations 3:14 Praise God. Hallelujah. When I see that Christmas sermon in Matthew, I'll preach it next time. Amen. I didn't see that Dito Jesus sermon in there when I was reading the Bible. Amen. I just happened to run across this one that said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Hallelujah. I mean, if you, if you all got that three wise men poem somewhere, just let me know if it's in the Bible. All right. So I hate to disappoint y'all if y'all came for that today. You're like somebody in their Christmas sweater. Like, oh, I wanted to hear it. I'm sorry. I just, I just got the Bible today. Amen. Praise the Lord. And if you want to read his story again, read his story again about how he was born. But I want to know what he became as a man. Amen? I want to know why wise men came and bowed before him and gave him gifts. Hallelujah. I want to know when he became 30 years old, started his ministry, why he started a revolution that 2,000 years later has not stopped. Hallelujah. Look at Revelations 3.14. This is now, like I told you at the beginning, John, the youngest of the apostles, is actually the last to live as the apostles. At this time, he is probably in his early 80s or late 70, uh, around 70 to 80 years old right now. He's on the Isle of Patmos, which was an island that they excommunicated criminals to go to, similar to like our Ellis Island. He was, he was disbanded and discarded from the community of the Roman culture because he was a Christian. They abandoned him on a prisoner work labor island as an older man. And there on that island, he saw revelations of Jesus Christ. He saw what Jesus was going to do in the end times. And Jesus gave him messages for every church. And if you read through the first part of Revelations, you see that the seven angels to the angel of the church of Laodicea represent seven churches. The word angel also represents messenger. So there's one of three uh, interpretations that are happening here right now. Number one, 
Jesus is talking literally to an angel that oversees the church of Laodicea that keeps guard of his church. That's one interpretation. I think that to be the least likely. The second interpretation is that the angel represents the pastor or the messenger to that church. And that's literally what the word angel means in certain places is messenger. So right here Jesus is saying to John, John, tell the messenger the pastor of Laodicea, this is what's going on. That's what I think is going on here. And then the third one, which also applies to this, and a lot of people think this, is that each one of the seven churches were literally churches of that time in 90 A.D., but also they believe that they represent seven church ages throughout the last 2,000 years. And that people would say, because this is the seventh church, that this represents the last church age. And even if you don't agree with that, you're going to be very uh, struck by what happens right here, because this describes the church of America better than anything I could ever say. Amen? So however you take the interpretation, the bottom line is these folks right here are lukewarm and got to get right with God. So let's read it. Verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. What's his name, y'all? Who is that? Everybody say Jesus. Can you say it like you're up this morning? What's his name? Who do we love? Who's the Amen? Who's the ruler of God's creation? Shout it again. Jesus. Woo! Praise the Lord. I love Jesus. We get excited about his name here. Amen? We got to talk about him. All right, get excited. Verse 15. I know your deeds. Look what he says to his church. Now, once again, I always got to preface these statements. He is not talking to rebellious teenagers in juvenile jail. He is not talking to Marilyn Manson fans before they go... Bad, uh, eat off bat heads and spit out blood and all this stuff. He is speaking to people who go to church, who are cute and nice people, who read their Bibles, who believe in God, who do more than what most Americans even do today. So he's talking to church people. I know your deeds. And that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to what? Spit you out of my mouth. Now, sometimes this has been translated... That hot would mean you're living for God, and cold would mean you're not living for God. So some pastors have taught that God is saying, I wish you were either living for me or living for the devil, and make up your mind because you're lukewarm about race, spit you out my mouth. And that is good preaching, that makes a lot of sense, but that is not what Jesus is saying. In the culture of Laodicea, they had um, aqueducts that brought them running water, just like we have sinks that bring us running water. And we have two sides. What do we have? Hot and cold. Both are useful at different times. But how many know lukewarm is never useful? When, you, when you're hot and, and, and you've just been sweating all day, what do you want? You want cold water. When you're, when you're cold and you're getting in the shower, what do you want? You want hot water. And what Jesus is saying is, I want you to be useful either as cold water or hot water. Live for me either way. But since you're right in the middle, not able to make up your mind, you make me puke. That's what he says. That's what God says, you make me, if you think about that, he says, you disgust me. Now watch, what disgusts us? That's lukewarm. You ever had lukewarm coffee? What does that make you want to do? Spit it out. Now we like cold coffee, they have cold drinks, right? And they have hot coffee, but we want to spit out. What's another thing that will make us spit out is uh, lukewarm ice cream. Right? You heat it up a little bit, put it on a cake, it's okay. You, you have it cold, it's good. But if it's just melting in the thing and it's just not good anymore, it's been out all day, we don't want that. Milk is the same way. And Jesus is saying, I want you hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out my mouth. So everybody say, get on fire for Jesus. Now look at this right here. The next scripture that we're going to see, if I can get us to help me out, brother. The next scripture is it says, this is what the people are now saying, because God is checking them, and this is what they say in response. You say, I'm rich. You see, we're talking about being poor in spirit. But these people say, I am rich. I'm okay. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. You see the opposite of a poor in spirit? See, this is a rebellious church. Oh, I'm okay. I go to church on Sundays. I read my Bible this week. I'm okay. It was amazing to me when we went out uh, evangelizing in the neighborhood and we asked people, is there anything we can pray with you about? And they're like, I'm okay. I just want to be like, oh, really? <laughs> really you're okay. So nothing in your life needs God's hand right now. You don't need God to protect you. You don't need God to heal you. You don't need God to bless your children. So really, you got this whole thing under control, huh? 
And I just kind of wanted to say to him, why don't you just, uh, why don't you make yourself turn on a brain cell right now? You need God. Why don't, you, why don't you tell yourself how your lungs work and how you breathe right now? Why don't you um, make yourself grow an inch, shrink an inch? Why don't you make yourself lose 15 pounds just by thinking about it? You see, we are so in a place of humility with God as our creator, we don't even know him. People say, oh, I do it all myself, the scientists. Oh, I do it all myself. Hey, let, let God take back the oxygen for a minute. Let me see you do that by yourself. Amen. Let me see you create something by yourself. Let me see you take nothing and make something. See, the Bible says fools say in their heart there's no God. Fools say in their heart, I have no need for God. I'm not just talking about, oh, and there's the other extreme. Oh, pray for me, Pastor. Pray for my husband. Pray for me. We just can't make it. We're waiting for the chariot in the sky to take us to heaven. No, we're not, we're not saying you just busted and disgusted, just waiting for Jesus' train to take you to heaven. Amen. You can be in victory on your way to heaven saying he's more than enough. Amen. But it doesn't come from our riches. It's his riches. So we always are in need of him. Amen. But they say, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. He says, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, you know you're in trouble if that's Jesus talking. Amen. That ain't your ex-wife. That's not the, you know, your baby's mama, fellas. This ain't somebody you met on the subway, you know, the train that you didn't like. This is Jesus saying, you are poor, wretched, pitiful, blind, and naked, and you make me puke. Woo! Jesus, have mercy on our churches. Have mercy on anyone here that needs to get right with this. Have mercy on me that I never forget him. Now look how beautiful God is because you see if you are poor in spirit, you receive the kingdom of heaven. Look at the contrast. He says, you say you have all that, but you really don't. He says, I counsel you. Now if God's going to counsel you, I suggest you take it. Amen. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. You see right there, God is saying, hey, you're poor. And you're trying to pretend like you're rich, but you really don't understand. When you get to heaven, none of this is going to count for anything. Your church membership, all the cute things you did on earth, all the nice houses you had, all the jobs you had, none of this is going to be worth anything. Jesus is saying, hey, I got gold for you, and it will never tarnish. I counsel you to buy it from me. So you can be rich and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. And then look at how our Father in heaven loves us. Those whom I love, I what? Come on, somebody say, I rebuke and discipline. So if Jesus really loves you, what does he do? Rebukes. So it's not just that Jesus really loves you, he gives you a brand new car. It's not that Jesus really loves you, he heals your cold. He can do those things. But if he really loves you, what does he love to do? Rebuke and discipline. How many parents really love their children? And when they see that three-year-old running out into the sidewalk, they really love them. So they what? Rebuke and discipline. Rebuke is saying, stop that. Don't go a step further. And then here's how I'm going to discipline you to help you understand this. You're going to hold my hand. We're going to look both ways. Why? Because you love them so much. When, the, when God sees that we're being lied to, that, that when we're getting into the culture of this world becoming, you know, egotistical, God says, no, 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 don't do that. Stop that. Come to me and I'll make you rich. Amen? Now let's look at right here. I've got to keep going. I'm, I'm not even, I've got to start to talk about mourning today. Amen? This is just a review of last week. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, we're going to have lunch at church today. Okay, and he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. So he loves us so much, he comes and knocks on our door. He says, hey, man, I know that you're naked and wretched and, you know, you're, you're acting this way. You make me want to puke, but just let me in. And just, just take me in your life, amen? And, and God is so good. November 5th, 1995, on drugs, high school dropout. You know what Jesus said? Son, open up to me and let me in your life. And you know what? I could have puffed up and said, oh, no, I'm, I'm fine. I don't need anything. But I was wretched, miserable, blind, poor, and naked, you know? And Jesus said, I'm going to give you the real goods. And on that day, I humbled myself. And I came in need. And I never regretted that decision. Has anybody else here been saved? Do you know that you're saved? Are you happy that you're saved? Did you open up to the knocks of Jesus Christ? Are you eating with Him? Are you enjoying life with Him? Has He come in? Amen? Hallelujah. Now I want you to see. Let's get to the blessed are those who mourn now. He goes right from blessed are those who are poor in spirit to blessed are those who mourn. And what does it mean to mourn? It's, it's obvious, but we'll put it up there just to elaborate. To be sorrowful for sins and reasons God is not close to you. So we start off 
without a relationship with God. So obviously when we come, we're repenting. Lord, forgive me for living 20 years without you. Lord, forgive me for living 80 years without you. However you've lived, you come to the Lord. For me, I was 18 years old, and I say, Lord, forgive me for living these years without you. Forgive me for choosing my friends over you. You see, Charles Finney, an old preacher of the 19th century in the 1800s, he said, we have committed our sins individually. Let us confess them and mourn over them individually. So when he talked about people getting saved, it wasn't just like, oh, Lord, I want to be born again. Now you leave church. No, it was get down, with, get down to business with God. Take time with the Lord and, and go through your life and think of those things that you've done against God. Think of the perversion. Think of the anger. Think of the greed. Think of the slander. Think, think of those things, not in the sense of guilt and condemnation. No, God says He takes away the guilt. He takes away the shame. But think of them as the things that broke God's heart. And say, Lord, I'm sorrowful. You know the word penance means to be sorry. And repent means to turn from the things you're sorry of. You see, I can come to church every day and I can say, I'm so sorry, Lord, I cheated on my wife last night. And I'm so sorry, Lord, forgive me and I still want to be married to her. Oh, I'm so sorry. And then next week I can come up here and say, Lord, I did it again. You know me, Lord. I'm just a sinner. But Lord, I love you so much. Forgive me. And I can play that. How long do you think my wife's going to let me keep coming home? Now, if you think my wife has a judgment, how much more does God have a judgment? God knows our hearts. If all we do is just come and say, oh, I'm sorry, that's penance. That is one part. But the repentance is to say, Lord, I was watching TV, and I caught a glimpse of a woman, and I lusted. Lord, forgive me, and I will not watch shows like that anymore. I turn from that, and I go in a different direction. And I'm giving you a personal example. You see, your pastor can get tempted just like you get tempted. And I get tempted with the lust of my eyes, with anger and being impatient. And what are your sins? And what are the things that after you've become a Christian that the devil just knows and he just whistles you over to him. And then all of a sudden he's got you, man. He's got you sin. All he's got to do is just tell you how terrible you are. And you're now sinning in depression. You're just hating yourself. All he's got to do is just get you mad at your family. Just look at your husband or something. Just, just, you know, just call you over and you get angry. Get you to look at your parents in the wrong way. See, God, see, the devil knows what tempts us. That's why when we are sinning and we see the self-loathing and the, the sin as God sees it, we don't now repent in this depressive repentance. We repent in, this, in, the, in the sense of penance, like, Lord, we are sorry. You see, that's where the Catholics had the, had the right idea, but they did it wrong because they, they taught us to go to men instead of God. But that is a good principle to come to God with each of those sins and saying, Lord, this week, these are the things I've struggled with. These are the things that I'm sorry for. But God, I choose not to do them again. God, I want to live a different life. God, I want to be your child. I want to be happy in you today. I want to be blessed in you. Amen. That's what it means to mourn. And then it says here at the end that those who mourn will be comforted. And that word comfort literally means to be brought to God's side and given rest, strength, and courage. That's literally what that word comfort means. Let's just think about that. When someone's at a funeral and they're being sorrowful, and I, you know, I'm, as a pastor, I have to go to these quite a bit. What, what happens at that funeral? You know, maybe someone, the family member, just taking it really hard and they're just grieving and the tears just keep coming and coming. What happens? Someone just comes and puts their arm around them, gets next to them. And what do they start to do? They start to give them encouragement. They start, they start to say, you're okay. You're going to make it. The sun's going to come out again. You know, you know they start encouraging them about the person that passed. You know, that person loved you. And then they, they give them rest. They say, hey, don't, don't worry about cooking this week. I'm going to cook for you. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? 
You see, when you come to God with the things of your life that break your heart, like I said, depression, fear, sin, anger, these things that just weigh you down. When you come to God, it's not a depressive cry. It's a cry of relief. And He hears you as, your, as His daughter, as His son. And He comes as a father. And He comforts you. He says, come by my side, daughter. Spend time in my presence and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my load is light, and you shall find rest for your soul. God says, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to take care of you. That's what it means to be taught and then guided. You see, another thing of comfort is, is, you know, we're talking about the encouragement and, and the rest, but there's another side of comfort. You know, like that young man, uh, fathers, you know, David here, you know, like after your son has played a game, and maybe he lost the game, and there's some things that he could have done differently, you don't come over to him and say, hey, you're walking home today. No, that's a bad father, right? But what does a good father do? He says, come on, son, sit in the car. We're going to go out for ice cream. We're going to go out for McDonald's. We're going to talk. And here's some things I think you can do better next time. And what does that do? It begins to comfort the young man. You know what God says to us? Okay, yeah, you've sinned. These things have broken your heart. But I want to comfort you now with the advice. You see, the Lord brings you to His Word. And He says, hey, greater is me that's in you than he that's in the world. You can do all things through my strength. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He says, pray and seek my face and I'll hear you. Amen? Would you stand up on your feet and give the Lord a hand clap of praise today? Come on, would you bless the Lord? We love you today, Jesus. Come on, would you bless the Lord today? Father, we bless you. God, you're so good to us. Come on, let's just praise Him for 30 more seconds. Just put your hands together as the band comes. Come on, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we bless you. Hallelujah. Now no more hand clapping. Just raise up your hands and bless them with your fruit of your lips right now. 15 more seconds. Tell God why you love Him today. Thank Him for the cross. Oh, God, you are El Shaddai. You are our God. That is more than enough. We thank you, Lord, that happiness is found in you. And, Lord, it's not a shallow happiness. It's not a happiness based on paychecks. It's not a happiness based on friendships. It's a happiness based on your eternal love for us. Oh, God, and we do thank you for blessings. Come on, just thank him for the things he's done in your life this year. Oh, God, we thank you, God, for saving our families this year. Oh, God, I thank you for bringing so many new people to the church this year. Oh, God, I thank you. I thank you. I worship you and I bless you. Oh, God, help us today just to humble ourselves. Oh, Lord, help us to humble ourselves. God, you love us so much. Would you look up at these closing scriptures today? 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. You know, the way I compare it to is when my mother lost my sister, her daughter. Talk about that grieving. She just kept grieving and grieving. But she kept giving it to God. And she says, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. God, I have nowhere to go. I'm pouring my spirit. I, I don't have peace on my own. I don't have joy on my own. I need the kingdom of heaven that has it. And, the, and my mother said that after about a month that she woke up one day and she, and she kind of knew the routine. Anybody that's ever grieved knows what I'm talking about. You know, she was going to go through her routine and look at the pictures and cry. And God says, I've healed you. I've healed you. And she said from that day she never grieved like she had been grieving ever again. Now, I said, do you still cry for Jane? She says, yeah, I cry when I think about her. But it wasn't that grieving, that just that, that aching. I want to tell you something. The woman downstairs from us is on depression medication and has been for 30 years. Because there's something that happened in her life. I don't know what it is. I don't know if she lost a child like my mother. I, I wouldn't think it can get any more severe than losing a child as a mother. When there's any more pain greater than that. So I use that as my mother as an example. But something in her life caused her pain. But for 30 years, she's had worldly sorrow. Just sorrowful, just depressed. Just depressed, can't sleep right. And for 30 years, she's been doing it the world's way. But what does it bring? Misery, destruction. See, I want to tell you today, whatever you're dealing with in life, bring it 
to God. Let Him comfort you. If you weep at this altar, if you weep in your time of prayer, that's how I really knew I was saved, as I was weeping all the time. But you know what? It's a good thing because God comforts you. God brings salvation to you. And if you feel that you've been weeping in God's presence, but you still have that worldly sorrow, in a few minutes come up and let one of our leaders know, because we're going to rebuke the spirit of depression off of you and the devil that's taking advantage of your emotional distress. Because I think it's spiritual then. I think the devil loves to see us Christians depressed. That's true happiness right there. Look at Psalms 32.5. It says, I acknowledge my sin to you. And did not cover up my iniquity. See, just, David said, I didn't try to hide anything. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you will forgive the guilt of my sin. Here's how it works. We come poor to receive the kingdom, to be made rich. And we mourn to be comforted. Isn't Jesus all right today? Isn't that some good advice? I love Jesus. Aren't you glad you came today? There it is. There's the message. My job is done now. I've applied the message that he just said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will receive the kingdom of heaven. I hope today you got that. Next thing he said is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I hope you receive that today. And now with your Bibles, just open up with me to Psalms 51. And Nancy, just shut that light off behind us there, please. And I want you to see specifically... What David did when he knew that there were areas of his life that needed to change. We're coming to you, Jesus, because we need you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. I know there's people here today that need you, and I know that you're here to meet with them. God, I pray in the next few moments as they come to you, Lord, as they let you in to their life, Lord, I pray you do what you always do comfort and heal and forgive and change. Give them advice. Oh God and let the tears God turn to joy because God you're doing something in their life through the valleys, through the mistakes. God you're blessing them even in ways they don't understand. Because God you didn't say blessed are those who win the lottery God so they may be looking for that blessing but Lord today they were taught that the blessing doesn't come that way. It comes through being poor in spirit, humble. It comes through mourning over past hurts and sins. God I pray as they apply that today you bless them. Oh hallelujah. Amen. Look at Psalms 51. I just feel Jesus in here. We're going to read the whole psalm. Look what David said. Have mercy on me O God according to your unfailing love. I could preach a whole nother message just on God's unfailing love. His love never fails. That's why this pastor, this week, there was a family that had to leave because of some issues. My wife will tell you. I called him up this week and I said, do you really want to go this way? I know we had to ask you to leave. I know there were issues that I had to stand on as your pastor. And David was there with me yesterday. But I said, do you, do you really want to leave like this? I don't want to fail anybody as a pastor. How much more so does God say, I'll never fail you? Even after this church had to say to them, man, you're causing a mess. You can't be here. God is still with them today. Despite their mess, God still says, I ain't going to give up on you. Isn't God good? Jesus, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. So you've got to be honest. I know my faults. I know my failures. And my sin is always before me. You ever feel like you just can't get over it? You're on a merry-go-round. It's always the same old, same old. That's what David said. And he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you are speak and justified when you judge. Doesn't that sound like? Paul, in the book of Romans, he said, every mouth will be shut according to the law of God. And David said it like this. Hey, I might have cussed out this guy, and he did cheat on his wife. I might have cheated on my wife over here. But he, he, he reduced it down to God's law. And he says, you know what? Really, I've only been sinning against you. Yeah, I've hurt people, but really, they didn't give me the law. Even though I committed to my wife, but you gave me the law never to cheat on her. So really, even though I hurt my wife, I hurt you more. That's how David saw it. 
He wasn't playing with his sin. See, sometimes we think God laughs and jokes and giggles about our sin. No, no, no. Every sin you've ever committed is really against him. It's like a slap in his face. Look what he says. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. That's the Bible. That's what we are talking about in Romans. No one does good. No one does right. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. See, God speaks to us. He'll speak to you at home when you're by yourself. That's why the Bible says get in alone. Get, get alone with God. Get in a secret place with God, y'all, where you can just hear Him, Louisa. Shut off all the things around you. Get alone and just hear what God is saying. He'll talk to you. It says, cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. <laughs> Excuse me, you know what hyssop was? It was a branch that they would take off of a tree, the priest. They would dip it in the animal's blood, and they would wipe it over the tabernacle and say, Lord, cleanse this whole place, cleanse this nation. He's saying, Lord, take the cross. That's what hyssop represented, that stick representing the cross. Take the cross where blood was shed and wash me clean. How many need that cleansing blood today? Amen. Wash your water than snow. He says, cleanse me with hyssop. I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take away your Holy Spirit from me. Now, obviously, if he's saying don't do it, that means God could do it. Some people think no matter how they live in life, God at some time or another will not cast them away. They say, well, he's unfailing. Yes, at the beginning he says he's unfailing. But at the end of your life, if you have not lived right, he will cast you away. David knew that. David knew there was a time of judgment. He said, don't cast me away. Don't take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. That's what we need again. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now look how David, he's so awesome. He comes to God with all of these needs. And then immediately he says, God, when you do it, I'm going to do it for others. I'm going to help them see it. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. I'll go to school and tell my friends what I've learned here. I'll go out and go to my family and tell them. This week over Christmas and New Year's, I'm going to tell my family. And sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Y'all about ready to help us sing of his righteousness? Amen. Oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Why do you think we call this place Metro Praise? Because we in the city and we praise in his name. Amen. That's why we always say lift up your voice. Praise God. Because even though you've sinned, you've been forgiven. Even though you've made mistakes, he's going to come for you. Praise his name, somebody. Oh, hallelujah. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. So it's like no matter what you, you do, you'll never make up for your sin. You can go to church every week. You can give every tithe and offering. You can go feed the poor. It will never make it right. This is what God wants. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. You're broke. You're poor. A broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God. You will not despise. So what does he despise then? A proud heart. A put-together, make-believe spirit. Oh, I don't need God. He despises that. But he will never despise the brokenhearted. I feel Jesus here. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. You hear that, Brother Hector? He's going to make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices. Whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bowls will be offered. The Bible says that the church then will be blessed. Your family will be blessed. Good things are going to happen in your city, in your family, in your home. Amen? Well, let's start with the first thing. Let's just close our eyes and let's just start right now by asking God to forgive us of the things we've done. Come on, let's get poor in spirit right now. We're going to go through this step by step today. Come on, don't be in a hurry. Just give God a few more minutes today. Come on. Jesus, 
Jesus, come on, we're going to start right now. Just, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Jesus. If you came in here and you're not saved and you need to be born again, here's how you get saved. Just say, Lord, forgive me of sins that I've committed. I ask you into my life. Change me. Oh, Lord, I repent. I'm going to follow you. Give me strength to do your ways. Come on. Hallelujah. Those of you who are Christians serving the Lord, just say, God, search my heart. Show me. Show me, Lord. Show me if there's anything speaking up. Show me if there's anything I've been given into not thinking about. Oh, God, help us. We come poor. We come poor, but you're going to make us rich. We come poor, but you're going to make us rich. Those that got to mourn in this place, go ahead. Let the tears flow. Let God touch your heart. Let Him wrap His arms around you. Let Him heal you today of the sins, of the things of the past, of the things you've done that have broken His heart. We're going to go to needs in just a minute. We're going to pray for those who are in need. Maybe people have hurt you and you need to mourn and be comforted. Maybe you've lost a loved one. We're going to go to that in just a second. But right now, let's get all the junk out. Let's get all the junk out. Let's make it right with God. Hallelujah. Let's stand on His righteousness. Let's get the kingdom of God in this place today. Jesus. Jesus. We need Your righteousness. Hallelujah. Now, all those that came in here and you have need, and there's just some things you want to lay at God's altar right now as they begin to sing, Better is One Day. I just want you to make your way to the front. We'll dismiss in a few moments, but give God some time right now. If that's you, just come to the front. If you need to kneel, then just kneel. And if the tears flow, let them flow. But just ask God today for His comfort. Because you know what? God's going to wipe the tears from our eyes. Oh, Jesus, we need you today. God, whatever, God, your children are going through, Lord, at this altar, God, they're mourning over it, but God, they ask you to comfort them. Comfort them right now. Come on, brothers and sisters, sing that song, and let's pray for them. Nancy, I want you to start laying your hands on them right now. Come on. We need you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, God, comfort my brother today.